0: This is The Guardian.
1: Since Nasheen recorded this episode, we received the tragic news that the bodies of Dom Phillips and Bruno Pereira have been found by search teams in the Amazon rainforest. At a press briefing late on Wednesday, the regional police chief said one of the two men arrested in connection with their disappearance had confessed to killing them. Our thoughts go out to the families and friends of Dom and Bruno. In
2: 2018, deep in the Javari Valley of Brazil, a region the size of Austria, photographer Gary Coulton was on an assignment for The Guardian.
1: I think we set our targets at something between 12 and 17k a day. And that was single file, hacking our way through dense Amazonian forest. The undulations, there are lots of small tributaries you wade through waist-deep sometimes.
2: He was working with a journalist, Dom Phillips. They were reporting on an expedition led by the indigenous specialist, Bruno Pereira.
1: If we had to, we built um, river crossings, uh, stumbled up bankings, slipped down bankings, and each day at about 2pm, the rains came with a gentle uh, rush of the forest canopy, then it suddenly got louder and louder, and then the rain just came through the forest canopy, and each and every one of us was soaked for, for the next four hours. A very simple, in a sense, way of living in the forest and living to the forest rhythm.
2: At the time, Bruno worked for the government's indigenous agency, FUNAI. He was tracking the movements of an uncontacted tribe from afar to ensure that they remained protected.
1: He was a man that came alive, a big bear of a man, about six foot two, unlikely looking in terms of his appearance, but a true adventurer and really was a true diplomat within the rainforest.
2: It was challenging and exhilarating. They spent weeks with a team of Indigenous people, living and working in hot, sticky, unforgiving conditions.
1: Don was probably the most industrious note-taker I've ever witnessed. And he was very protective of that notepad. I, mean, I remember remembering crossing one river. It had been raining for about four hours and we were wading through the river waist deep. And Dom tried to uh, climb up out of the riverbank on, onto a log and fell and almost went fully submerged in the water. When I spoke to him later, he was so worried about losing the notes that he'd, uh, he'd scribbled down.
2: But they knew the work was essential. Bruno worked to help Indigenous communities protect their land, which is under constant threat from illegal fishing, logging, miners and drug traffickers. Despite the risks of their expedition, they were determined to get the message out. The Amazon is being attacked and the people defending it needed help. A couple of weeks ago, Dom and Bruno set off on another expedition together, this time for research for the book Dom was writing, titled how to save the Amazon.
1: The last time I had an exchange with Dom was on this visit. He had uh, posted a picture of um, the head of a canoe travelling downriver and I messaged him and said, jealous, that's what I said.
2: But on Sunday, 5th of June, the alarm was raised. Dom and Bruno were missing. Indigenous communities quickly launched a search and rescue mission. On Tuesday night, the Brazilian authorities announced that the disappearance was now considered a murder investigation. From The Guardian, I'm Noshi Iqbal. Today in Focus, the search for Dom and Bruno and the deadly violence facing environmental defenders. John Watts, you're the Guardian's Global Environment Editor and you knew Dom Phillips as a friend and as a colleague. Can you tell me when he first arrived in Brazil and how he came to be a foreign correspondent there?
3: Dom Phillips arrived in 2007. He went to Sao Paulo initially to finish off a book he was writing about... The electronic music scene in london and in a previous incarnation he'd been editor of the music magazine mix mag so he went to brazil because he thought he, he could take a break from the the usual scene he was in in london and he loved the place and he stayed there and so after he finished his book he decided to go into freelance journalism as a correspondent and worked for just about everybody. I arrived in Brazil five years later in 2012 and was very impressed by this guy with a Scouse accent who just seemed to have got his head around the art, the culture, the, the sport, the politics, everything about Brazil. He was totally immersed. He spoke the language quite fluently already then and had strings ranging from... 442 to the Times to the FT to an oil industry mag. He was a real all-rounder but most of all he was just really happy to be in Brazil. He he, he found himself very, very comfortable and happy there.
2: And What was he like to be around?
3: We became friends immediately. He's He's got a, a nice dry sense of humour. He always has time for his friends and I, I would say if there's anything that distinguishes him, it's curiosity. You knew that Don was interested in something when he would sort of lock his eyes on you. He had very piercing blue eyes and start grilling you. <laughs> if it was anything right. interesting, he would just pummel you with questions to find out more and more and more. And the other thing was his his love of nature and the outdoor life. He used to go stand-up paddling off Copacabana beach quite often we had regular cycling in the morning a bunch of us would make the climb up to the Corcovado and the Christ statue up there it was a it was a real lung busting ride but very refreshing and you'd spend an hour climbing the hills and then you'd get these incredible views and then you'd just bomb down in about 15 minutes because it was so steep and uh, that that group came to be known as the Christ on a Bike group.
2: And what about Bruno Pereira? Now, he's the Indigenous expert and campaigner who accompanied Dom on this trip. What can you tell us about him and his work?
3: Um, I never met Bruno, but he seems an incredibly impressive man. He's really an, an expert on Indigenous issues, and he was the head of the Brazilian government's body that looks after uncontacted tribes and makes sure their well-being is considered. And he clearly came into conflict with the Bolsonaro government. This government has basically weakened all of the state's abilities to protect indigenous people and protect conservation areas and given a a free license to those who just want to plunder the Amazon and other rainforests. Uh, for the resources. So he found himself on the wrong side of his employers. And instead, in recent years, he's been working for indigenous civil society groups, helping people in the Javadi Valley to identify and denounce uh, illegal fishermen and others involved in criminal activity in the forest.
2: And that's how his and Dom's past first crossed, right? I mean, can you tell me some of the issues that Dom has spent the last 10 years reporting on?
3: Dom had become much more interested in recent years in environmental indigenous issues, particularly after Jair Bolsonaro took power in 2018. Dom's focus has been much more about the rainforest, about the Amazon, about the climate. I mean, he became so passionate about it that he has taken a year off to write a book on the subject of How to Save the Amazon. That's the registered title. He really didn't want to just expose wrongdoing. He wanted to look for solutions. And one of the last messages we exchanged, he said he was a few chapters in and uh, was feeling the pressure to kind of pick up the pace of his writing, but still had a few more trips to go.
2: What did Dom make of Bolsonaro's election? Tom
3: was extremely alarmed about the circumstances in which Jair Bolsonaro came to power. Uses the far-right candidate, Jair Bolsonaro, has won Brazil's presidential race. He was really on the fringes of Brazilian politics for almost two decades, and then suddenly rose to the fore. In a country plagued by corruption, spiraling crime and a deep economic crisis, Bolsonaro has presented himself as an anti-establishment candidate. His history... Had alarmed, I think, every journalist in Brazil, partly because he he his comments over the years were, were so extreme. The
1: situation is very dramatic because uh, he said that uh, he's going to allow, for example, uh, mining exploitation in indigenous land. He's going to cancel all land rights of indigenous people. He has threatened, and
3: he had at one point said, "It's a shame that." Uh, The Brazilian military weren't as efficient as the US cavalry in a clear reference to their eradication of indigenous people. And Don wrote to me and said he was very worried about what it would mean for the Amazon and what it would mean for journalism. And he, he said, and this is the quote, this is a very dark and worrying period and it's only going to get worse.
2: And he came face to face with Bolsonaro at one point as well, didn't he? Ele
3: disse
1: números de desmatamentos estão mostrando um crescimento assustador.
3: Ele estava. estava. Ele 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 estava. Ele
0: deforestation Ele Ele Ele
3: que and said, first, the Amazon is ours, not yours. And this comment exploded across the internet.
2: How dangerous was the reporting beat that him and Bruno were pursuing? Had they had any trouble before?
3: Brazil has a an, an appalling reputation uh, when it comes to violence against environmental defenders. In the past few decades, it's easily the most murderous country in the world. Most of the victims are indigenous or from forest, traditional forest communities, riverines, quilombolas. Anyone who stands in the way of exploitation of the forest is at risk. But to the best of my knowledge, Dom has not had trouble or, or threats to, to him in the course of his reporting before. But he would have known that there are risks in travelling to the Javari Valley, and I presume he would have heard from Bruno that Bruno had received threats because of his work in trying to help Indigenous people denounce illegal activities by the communities around their territory that were increasingly, it seems, tied to organised crime, maybe even connected to narco-trafficking. He would have calculated, as all journalists do, whether the story was worth the risk, and he thought it was extremely important. Um, and, And Dom was courageous enough to do that because he thought it was crucial.
2: There is a general perception that part of the region can be lawless. Why are activists who are trying to protect the rainforest and its tribes so under threat?
3: They're under threat because they are up against global forces. It's a combination of local corruption, a culture of violence and world markets that make certain commodities so valuable that people will do anything to try to secure them. And in Brazil, that's gold that's illegally mined using mercury and other contaminants that then ends up in waterways. It's illegal logging that provides wood for products in Europe and North America, it's land grabbing so that wealthy people can secure territory for raising cattle for the hamburgers and and soy that comes to uh, richer markets and the people who are on the front line who are who are trying to stop this are generally protecting their own land it's it's poor people who've been over decades or centuries been pushed into the most remote regions of the world. And this is now their sort of, their last stand, their last home. Uh, there is nowhere else for them to go. And they don't usually fight back with violence uh, because they can't. They don't have arms to compete with the criminal gangs. So they turn to journalists and they they turn to lawyers and government agencies and civil society. and And that's how they fight. But the law does not operate in their favor. In fact, The opposite is true, and these environmental defenders are are criminalised. And so when someone like Dom goes into this region or someone like Bruno tries to um, support those on the front line, there are huge risks and they should be seen as very courageous and very idealistic for doing what they're trying to do because they're really doing this for all of us.
2: Tom Phillips, you're The Guardian's Latin America correspondent, and you've been covering Dom and Bruno's disappearance this past week. You're in Atalaya de Norte, the town where Dom and Bruno were expected to arrive on Sunday, 5th of June. Can you tell me about their reporting trip? What had they gone to find?
0: They met here on the afternoon of Thursday, June 2nd, Uh, mid-afternoon. They left their hotel and they set off by boat up the Icaquai River on what was one of the final reporting trips for a book that Don was writing about the environment in the Amazon. And they were sent off by friends at the port and they went up the Itakwai River and they made their way to an indigenous surveillance base at the entrance to the Javadi indigenous territory, which is this vast area of rainforests and rivers, which is home to more than 20 indigenous communities. It's an immensely beautiful region, but it is also an immensely difficult one where, you know, you have... Numerous, I don't, I don't know if anyone could put a number on it, but numerous very dangerous criminal routes operating and, and huge amounts of money involved. So it was a perilous world they were stepping into when they set off on that afternoon.
2: And when did it start to look worrying that something might have gone wrong?
0: So friends started to worry about them on Sunday morning. Uh, they set off back towards Atalaya de Norte, which is the sort of river town, the largest town in the region quite early on Sunday morning at about 6, and they were due to arrive back in Atalai, the Notch at, about, at about 8, 8.30. And pretty soon after that, some of their friends and colleagues here started to worry, fearing at first that they might have had some kind of boat accident or that they, you know, their boat might have broken down and they might be stuck out on the river. I mean, it's a, it's a real wilderness. There are very, very few communities out there on the river, a couple of you know, small houses here and there, a couple of small villages. So if you break down out there, you really need someone to come and try and find you. So they did that, spent a few hours doing that and couldn't find any trace of them whatsoever. And I think by lunchtime on Sunday, their friends were starting to get pretty worried and thoughts started to shift and they started to worry that something altogether might have happened. But it became clear to us pretty early on Monday that something... I heard The
2: is growing over the safety of British journalist Tom Phillips and Bruno Pereira, a protector of Brazilian indigenous communities. After the pair were reporting... Tom, missing you spent numbers. days last week embedded with a search team in the Javari Valley in the Amazon rainforest. What happened?
0: So I flew up here on Wednesday and I arrived in Atalai do Norte on Thursday, so exactly a week after Tom and Bruno had set off on their journey. And immediately, we set off upriver in a small boat to retrace their steps and to, to, to try and get involved in and, and witness the surge and rescue operation that indigenous groups, the indigenous groups that Dom had been writing about, had launched. And we spent Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday with that group. And it was um, a really humbling and fascinating experience to to be with these guys, about two dozen men who in the absence of a quick and effective response from the Brazilian government, who in the early days of this seemed extraordinarily, I would say, scandalously slow to respond, a very small group of indigenous men had taken it upon themselves to get out there in small boats and canoes with machetes and hunting rifles to scour the rivers and the forests. And they were pushing their way through vines, you know, these trees covered in spikes that cut your flesh if you rub against them dangerous jungle terrain alligators snakes jaguars uh, and they were camped out there in the jungle tirelessly working day after day after day to try and find our friend and to find bruno
2: how did you work together and what sort of clues were you looking for
0: it's a very strange um, situation because of course i I suppose my primary role was there was to be there to cover it as a journalist and to try and tell the world what was happening. When I arrived here on Wednesday, Thursday last week, I really believed that even though a few days had gone past since their disappearances, that you know we could still, you know, perhaps have a have a happy ending in which Don would sort of roll up at the port here with a gigantic beard and and a bit smelly, and we could sit down and and have a beer by the water and and reflect on. You know, another one of his incredible intrepid missions into the forest, um, and give him a hug. And um, and yeah, and um so my my role was there to, to you know to report on it, but I also ask these guys, I say, what can I do to help? You know, how can I? Um, you know, what are we looking for? What are we? You know, what should I keep my eyes open for? And, and um, you know, how can I contribute really to this in some way? Because it's a really small group of people. And they said, well, you know, we're looking for any sign of human activity, you know, maybe a bottle, maybe a broken branch or a, or a tree or uh, some sign that someone's come through, a bit of plastic in the water, you know, abandoned canoe, maybe a boat. We were looking for their boat to some kind of, you know, maybe clothing, backpack, anything like that, anything that might suggest that, 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 you know, people had been through.
2: And in those four days, what turned up? What did you find?
0: Oh, m- mostly nothing. Um, you know, we just went on for hours and hours and hours under a really hot sun and pushed through the jungle. But yeah, it was on Saturday that you had a big military deployment. You're starting to see helicopters over the jungle, and Navy vessels on the river. But it was the indigenous teams that we were following that were responsible for the massive breakthrough that happened on Saturday. And um, we split into two teams and a very small team went in canoes to the right hand side of the river. And my team um, with the police went off to the left hand side. And again, we weren't finding very much. And then suddenly, the radios of our team sort of crackled into life and they got a message from the other team on the other side of the river. Uh, And this is pretty close to the point at which we now believe that Dom and Bruno came under some kind of attack. Quite close to that, these indigenous guys from the Matisse people had gone into the forest and they were calling us over because they had spotted the blue tarpaulin tied to a tree that was recognized as belonging to Univaja, which is the indigenous group here in Atalaya that represents the indigenous communities in the Javari and for which Bruno had been had been working. We, we stopped, we cut our engines, and we sat there in the forest. And then pretty quickly, we started to spot things. So they found a spoon, um, a piece of clothing um, that they identified as being Bruno's, was pulled out of the water near where the water met the, the forest, wet the land. And then a few minutes later, one of the boats turned its motor on. Hey, and um, right next to the boat in which I was standing, a pair of dark-colored trousers sort of floated up from the depths and, and passed our boat, and there was just this moment of kind of panic as, as, the, as, the, as the, the motor of the boat and, uh, sort of pushed the, pushed the trousers, and it floated off, and the waters here are very murky-brown-colored, and it sort of started floating off, and I started shouting, you know, trousers, trousers! somebody got to get them, we've got to get them before they disappear. And, and then just seconds later, the, the trousers disappeared again. Um, and at that point, it was pretty clear that um, we'd, we'd found a very important place in this investigation. And, you know, unfortunately, possibly our friends find a resting place. And um, we radioed uh, the police, uh, military police I was with, radioed to the federal police. And the next morning at about 9.30 a.m., the federal police arrived the area was sealed off and the forensic team was deployed. And we saw two forensic officers in white protective suits rowing into the area in a canoe to examine the things that we'd found.
2: What have you made of the response so far from the Brazilian government and from the police?
0: I think first of all, it's important to say, and the indigenous people I've been with have all said this, the half a dozen military policemen who have been giving them protection since pretty much the outset here. I've done an absolutely fantastic job and I've been really brave and I've played an absolutely essential role in this. But beyond that, I think most people would agree that the official response from the armed forces and police was, you know, at the very least sluggish. And apparently locals here have said that it wasn't until Wednesday. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, four days after this all happened that you really started to see, for example, even helicopters in the area. So I think, you know, I think the consensus here is that there was a scandalously slow response from Brazilian authorities. And I think many people find it quite difficult to separate that fact from the hostile stance that Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, has towards indigenous communities and towards journalists.
2: And Tom, on Monday, we heard some initial reports that the authorities had found two bodies, but then this was later denied by local police. What happened and why is the picture so confusing?
0: It's still very unclear. I mean, like one of the reasons that the picture is so confusing, I, I think is that just the difficulty in communications. There are there are no comms out on the river. And the fact is that early on Monday morning, a Brazilian diplomat made a call to Dom's family in the UK. And very soon after they, they called me. And the message that had been relayed to them was that two bodies had been found tied to a tree. And then about five hours after the family called me, a Brazilian journalist tweeted out that they'd been found and 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 it must have been devastating for the family. So I think at some point there will be an investigation into why that information was passed on. It seems to me that the blame probably does not lie with the Brazilian diplomat who passed on the information. And I I suspect he's probably a a decent official who was doing his best to try and get whatever information was given to him uh, by security authorities in in Brasilia to the family because, of course, they're desperate for news. Uh, I think the question that we need to ask is who the hell in Brasilia Pass that information on to the Brazilian embassy in London, that the bodies had been found when police now say they, they were not.
2: And what has the indigenous response in Brazil been like to Dom and Bruno's disappearance?
0: Well, remarkable. I mean, this search mission is I think a perfect symbol of just a, a, a remarkable, powerful, indigenous mobilization. Uh, Yesterday in Atalaya, uh, the Norch, there was a big march on Monday morning through town. They gathered at the local indigenous association that Dom had been visiting uh, in the days before he he went upriver and they set off in, in their traditional clothes, carrying spears and singing in their native languages to demand justice, to demand answers, not just for Dom and Bruno, but for all the indigenous activists and experts and environmental defenders who have been Threatened or harassed or murdered over, you know, the last few years and decades, and I, all I could think as they as they moved through town was just how moved Dom would have been to see that mobilisation.
2: Coming up, an update from the investigation and the
1: legacy of Dom and Bruno's work. Tom, can you tell me about when you were last in touch with Dom and
2: how you process what's happened to him and Bruno?
0: Yeah, you know, in, in recent months we would talked uh, a lot about the book that he has been writing. And then the, the very last message we, we exchanged was towards the end of May, um, just a few days before he set off on his final trip. And um it was my fortieth birthday and he'd that I was in a bit of a glum about it. And um let me see if I can open it here. He said um, he sent me a happy birthday message and, and I said, Oh God, bloody hell, forty. And he replied, Forty years young. Forty is a great decade. And uh, and I took a picture of a of a shot glass of Brazilian cachaca liquor and uh took a photograph of it and sort of held it up as if I was saying cheers to him.
2: Tom, do you know what happens next in the search now?
0: So I know that the indigenous search teams are still out there, um, scouring the forest and the rivers for any kind of trace of these guys. There is now a bigger uh, official response. So out on the river, you see federal police, the military, the Navy. The civil police are investigating, and they have a man in custody. who's a local fisherman who's believed to have had um, some kind of altercation with, with, um, with Bruno and Dom in the hours before they were, they, they seem to have been targeted. So he's in custody at the moment.
2: Police in Brazil have
3: arrested a second man in connection with the disappearance of British journalist Dom Phillips and indigenous expert Bruno Pereira. The men will ask... Him- and we
2: then heard the news on Tuesday night that a second man, the brother of the first suspect, was arrested in connection to Dom and Bruno's disappearance and that this is now a live murder investigation. What do the police think happened?
0: And I think the working assumption is that as they came back along the river towards the north to come, come home from their trip, they were ambushed or, or chased and attacked. And after that,
1: um,
0: nothing more was heard from them. So, yeah, I mean, as we stand today, the forensic operation in the area that we found on Saturday is still going on. Indigenous groups are looking at other areas and we're all just here waiting desperately for some kind of, some kind of breakthrough, even if the worst-case scenario Turns out to be true, and that our friends have been have been murdered. That at least their family can find some peace in knowing what happened to them and where their final resting place was.
2: John, what's the last week been like for you?
3: Ah, it's uh, utterly horrendous. I am still struggling to to come to terms with what appears to have happened we still don't have a body but it's clear that something terrible has happened and I think it was evident immediately to me that there was huge cause for concern I I heard the news very early on Monday morning um, and then we started my wife and I started to make inquiries um, amongst indigenous groups and Dom's family. And we found that the circumstances in which he'd gone missing were extremely worrying uh, and immediately mobilized every resource, every contact we could to try to get uh, attention on the case. Um, And I think the first few days we just F- flung myself into activity just just in the hope that there was something that could be done and with every day that passed it, it was just clearer and clearer that the outcome could be really horrible and the only thing that's really sort of kept me going has been the solidarity that's been shown for Dom and for Bruno it's heartbreaking on a personal level and and chilling on a journalistic level, um, but I'm hoping, I really hoping that there, it can be inspiring, in a way um, that may sound strange, but it, it just feels so important to me that there is some legacy, there's some meaning in what's otherwise a, a senseless, horrible crime, and and that meaning would be that more journalists focus on these kinds of areas that go underreported but are really globally important and that more people work towards the protection of journalists and environmental defenders and that there's more scrutiny of the government's criminal activities uh, and links or at least failure to crack down on crime um, and all of these issues that Don was looking into I, I just hope that this this devastating murder, because that's what it seems to have been, um, can can lead to something positive.
2: John, thank you so much.
3: Thank you for your interest. Appreciate it.
2: My thanks to John Watts, Tom Phillips, and Gary Colton. You can follow Tom's reporting on the search for Dom and Bruno and updates from the investigation at theguardian.com. I'd also recommend reading some of Dom's work, particularly the Javari expedition we mentioned, Lost Tribes, the 1000 kilometer rainforest mission to protect an Amazon village. And there are also tributes to Dom and Bruno and profiles of their work. Do look out for the writer and the activist, how Dom Phillips and Bruno Pereira bonded over the Amazon, by Andrew Downey and Tom Phillips. Finally, there is a GoFundMe page raising money for Dom and Bruno's families. We've put a link on our podcast page at theguardian.com. Just search there for Today in Focus if you'd like to donate. We'll leave you with a recording Gary took of Bruno singing on their 2018 trip when they stopped for a break in the forest. Marina Wa Kena
0: Dei Marina Wa Kena Dei
2: Tabari Ni He Zavejani Tabari Ni this episode was produced by Alex Atak. Sound design is by Ian Chambers. The executive producers are Elizabeth Cassin and Phil Maynard.
0: This is The Guardian.